From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Well, coming up on this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. Father, I want to lift up the president. Father, you know I will meet with him today. Father, I ask, I ask that you open both of our hearts, that you put our meeting, our meeting that seeks your truth and the help for this nation. I'll have to tell you, that doesn't happen often. That was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy early, early this morning at the National Gathering for Prayer and Repentance that Jim Garlow and I hosted at the Museum of the Bible. I have to say it was one of the most impactful events I've been a part of as uh, hundreds of people, including two dozen members of Congress, prayed for our nation and repented. We'll talk about it later with Congresswoman Mary Miller, who joined us. And while Speaker McCarthy was praying for his meeting with President Biden to discuss an increase in the debt ceiling, Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer continued his divisive rhetoric. So Speaker McCarthy may claim he wants to negotiate, but that is ultimately empty talk if the hard right has the power to reject whatever the speaker proposes. It's a toxic dynamic that sadly isn't going away anytime soon. Well, I'll tell you who's in the middle of the toxic mix. Uh, it wouldn't be on the House side. The House of Representatives is, uh, they're actually voting during this hour, but, but we're going to get a quick update from Congressman Randy Weber from Texas on the debt ceiling He'll be calling us from the House floor a little bit later. Congressman Weber also was at the prayer meeting this morning. Hall, uh, Harris Alec is going to be joining us here in just a moment. He's a congressional reporter with The Washington Times. He'll provide a readout on the meeting that just ended uh, not too long ago between Speaker McCarthy and President Biden. And today, Virginians marched for life, and they were joined by Governor Glenn Youngkin. And this is a great statement by a lot of people, young people, older people, folks from all walks of life, to demonstrate the fact that we stand to protect life. Well, Governor Glenn Youngkin joins us later here on Washington Watch to Talk Life. And speaking of life, we mentioned this on Monday. A Philadelphia jury acquitted Mark Halk of the federal charges brought against him by the Biden administration. Mark joins us later to talk about it. And the state of Utah has enacted a law claiming it protects minors from dangerous and often irreversible gender transition treatments. However, however, the law has massive loopholes. FRC's Joseph Backholm is here to walk us through this bad piece of law. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there. Be sure and check it out. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of the heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are futile. What he's saying is don't learn the ways of the world. Don't be dismayed by the signs of heaven. Why interpret the movement of the stars and planets when you can plainly follow the directions of the one who made the heavens and the earth? The Apostle Paul unpacks this principle over in Romans chapter 12, where he writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To be a part of our journey through the Bible, you can find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. 
Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy went to the White House this afternoon for a face-to-face meeting with President Biden as the debt ceiling stalemate continues between Republicans and Democrats. Expectations for an agreement are low, and uh, but I will have to say I spoke to the Speaker this morning, and he is trying to find a way forward. But the problem appears to be that the White House says no negotiations, even though we have $31 trillion in debt, which the Speaker says it's time we address. Joining me now to get a readout on the meeting that just ended not too long ago between the Speaker and the President is Washington Times congressional reporter Harris Alec. Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me on, Tony. All right, so what's, uh, what's the readout on the meeting that uh, just wrapped up a little bit ago? This meeting was largely an opportunity for President Biden and uh, newly installed House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to have a chance to sit down. And it was largely a symbolic meeting to show that the Democratic leader and the Republican leader have the opportunity and to sit down and have a chance to talk and engage in a constructive dialogue on this looming debt ceiling crisis. That opportunity was important for them because, for the most part, both men are seen as as partisan fighters. Uh, President Biden was on the campaign trail last year calling Republicans MAGA extremists. He gave a speech only a week and a half ago attacking them for wanting to destroy the economy under him with their uh, so-called radical proposals on, on the debt ceiling. And Speaker McCarthy ran and won a GOP majority last year by largely pledging to investigate the Biden administration. So it was important for these two men to sit down today and show the American public that they are engaged in a dialogue, that they can size each other up and understand where each other's red lines are and what's going to be acceptable on a debt ceiling fight. But both Democrats and Republicans tell me that the negotiations have not yet begun in earnest because there's simply too much time between um, right now and when the debt ceiling is supposedly supposed to expire in four or five months. Right. Does this indicate, though, because the White House is being saying, has been saying no negotiations, we're not going to negotiate, does this show that the White House really understands that they're going to have to negotiate for the beginning of those conversations? That's definitely a factor that the White House un- understands fully well. They've been saying no negotiation largely because they want to set the the narrative and set the scene for the next few months that the debt ceiling is something that both Republicans and Democrats have raised in the past. It's part of the bipartisan consensus, and Republicans are, are radical and extreme for not wanting to raise it now without getting something in exchange for it. Um, the White House has known all along that they're going to have to engage in negotiations. This happens every single time that a Congress turns hands from one party to another, and the uh, and the president is, is from a different party than the House or the Senate. So they've absolutely un- understood this this whole time, but they've been attempting to kind of set the scene because they want as much political pressure as possible to be mounting on Republicans. So when that debt ceiling clock is hitting uh, or is close to expiring in July or late June, they can say, well, hey, look, you know, we've got an opportunity here. You can either let the country go off this fiscal cliff where it can potentially pay its uh, expenditures or we can meet something here. And any good negotiator will tell you that you wouldn't settle for a deal today when you know that in four or five months you're going to have the opportunity to potentially strike a better deal because the pressure will be mounting and one side is going to be more likely to cave than it is right now. Yeah, extremely good point, although I would say that the Biden administration and all of their um, voices are trying to say the crisis is now and that we have to have an agreement by Congress. So I think they're trying to uh, they're trying to create that sense of urgency at this moment. As you say, the real crisis isn't until uh, the summer. So they have plenty of time to have conversations. 
That's absolutely the case. And look, I mean, this is all part of setting an agenda, right? You know, no one is really paying attention to the debt ceiling right now. But if enough people come out and say this is a looming crisis, it has to be addressed. People start writing about it. People start talking about it on cable news. People start calling into radio shows. And the White House understands that as more people get frightened of this looming debt ceiling deadline, that that plays into their hands. That makes yeah. it all the more likely that this new Republican-controlled House might be willing to cave on some of the spending cuts. It's, it's also really important to note here that uh, the Republicans essentially, you know, while they have not been open about the spending cuts they want, they agreed to an internal rules package earlier this year that essentially would have just said, let's keep spending flat at 2022 levels. Spending right now is about $130 billion over that figure. So if they can cut $130 billion from, from the budget, Republicans would likely be willing to compromise on some sort of debt ceiling fight. And if they keep that 2022 level flat, they can pay down the debt in uh, about 10 years, which is what most Republicans yeah. want to do. The White House is out there saying, well, you know, Republicans want to cut Medicare and they want to cut Social Security. As we saw today from uh, Speaker McCarthy, Republicans are opposed to cutting Social Security and they're opposed yeah, to cutting Yeah, they made that very clear. Very clear. Harris, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to, uh, to see you. Appreciate the readout on the meeting. Always a pleasure. All right. Let's go to Capitol Hill. We're going to get another quick uh, response, another take on this meeting from uh, Congressman Randy Weber of uh, Texas. The House is on the floor, actually, now taking votes. So he steps off to uh, join us. He's a member of the House Committee on Space, uh, Science, Technology, and the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. He represents the 14th District of the Lone Star State. Congressman Weber, thanks for uh, jumping off the floor to, to, uh, to join us here on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Glad to be here. We have jumped over on the ENC committee instead of the TNI committee. Oh, well, great. That's good to know. Yeah, let, me, a- uh, let me first, before I go to uh, the meeting between the speaker and the president, I want to thank you for joining us this morning uh, there at the Museum of the Bible. Um, I just appreciate you being there and praying for the country. You bet. Well, it's a, it's a good thing, Tony. We appreciate you all putting it on. Our, as you well know, our country is in deep despair. and We've got to get back to biblical values. That's just all there is to it, and, and I so appreciate you taking the lead on this. So, Congressman, give me your reaction to the meeting between the Speaker and the President, and, and what's going to have to happen for the Republicans to come together in an agreement with the President? Well, I think the President's probably the deciding factor there. Uh, we know that we want to cut spending, and you already pointed out it's not about cutting Medicare or Social Security. That's not it. I know the Democrats would like to hang that around our necks. That's just not true. The president's going to have to come to the table. I, I think the speaker said they've got common ground. They had some common discussion. Uh, we, I'm not, I'm not unaware, Tony, that the president's going to want to delay this as long as he can to get closer and closer to the, to kind of a calamity, if you will. But the Republicans have, we've said the whole time, uh, freedom, that. Actually, that Kevin was running for speaker, commitment to America, that we would get spending bills out quicker so that the Senate couldn't jam us. So we're intent on, and you probably know this, eight times in, since 1985, uh, spending cuts have been attached to the ceiling debt ceiling discussion bill. So we're, we're working on this. The president's going to have to come around to that. Uh, we're working hard to make sure that we can do that for the American people. And the Republicans have been very clear on this. They're not for any default. They just want responsibility going forward. And and I would think there has to be give and take. And so far, the president is saying he's not giving anything. He apparently wants Republicans to give up everything. And that's exactly the case. And if you follow this, and I know you have been, the Democrats in 390-something days, literally, they passed the highest debt ceiling increase in history. 
And literally in 394, five days, whatever it was, they maxed out America's credit card again. That's what they want to do. That's their modus operandi. We're saying, look, it's not sustainable. The Republicans ran on that. Our commitment to America speaks to that. And we're going to have that discussion. We're going to have that on the floor of the House. We want the president to know that we're firm. He's got to get, there's got to be some give and take because we can't keep spending the Americans' uh, taxpayers' dollars like we've been doing. Uh, very quickly, Congressman, last question for you. We're almost up against a break. But this was an issue in the election for the Speaker. And so conservatives have, have drawn some very bright lines when it comes to the fiscal responsibility. Can the Republicans agree uh, that if we get some reasonable spending cuts that we can move forward? Yes, I think we can, Tony. As you know, when I was in the Texas House, I had the number one conservative voting record. I call myself a Christian, conservative, Republican, and in that order. And so I think what I'm watching here and seeing here, I've been here, this is my 11th year, sixth term, and I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. I think we're going to pull this off. Yeah, I, uh, I'm encouraged as well. And I appreciate, uh, again, appreciate you being there with us early this morning and uh, so many of your colleagues. That was I have to believe that's encouraging to folks all across America see Congress praying for this country. Randy, great to see you. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. All right. Coming up, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin joins us to discuss today's Virginia's March for Life. Stay tuned. More Washington Watch coming up right after this break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. 
To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org/worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. All right, Virginians from across the state gathered in Richmond, Virginia today for the Commonwealth's annual March for Life the first to take place since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last summer. Among the marchers was Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, who became actually the first governor to attend the event when he first marched last year as governor. Joining me now to discuss this and more is the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Governor, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you for having me. And it was a great day in Richmond. We had thousands of people locking arms and marching for life. And we had folks from all over Virginia. We had uh, children and younger, younger folks and older folks all together uh, expressing their desire and their support to protect life. So, Governor, you're, you're the first governor that's marched in this event. I mean, why are you doing it? I mean, are you, are you making a statement that this is an important issue? Well, I am making a statement that it's an important issue. But the reality is, I'm not sure what the other ones are doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, Virginia's elected a pro-life governor, and uh, there's a moment to to stand up for what you believe. And uh, I was very, very honored uh, to be able to join these thousands of Virginians today. Now, you introduced the uh, the idea of a 15-week uh, bill that would protect life uh, after the place after the time in which a, a child a baby feels pain. Uh, you've uh, allocated funding from the state budget toward this. Democrats in the Virginia Senate have blocked a late-term abortion ban. I mean, so you're, you're in a fight there in the state of Virginia. What do you see as the way forward as this issue now clearly rests in the hands of state lawmakers? Well, and, and we continue to press forward with it. You know, the history of this, this uh, uh, issue in Virginia is one that's not, not pretty. And uh, just a few years ago, uh, on our House of Delegate floor, there was a de- floor debate to to an, to allow abortion all the way up through and including birth, paid for with taxpayer money. Right. And uh, and but Virginians elected a, a, a pro-life governor, and uh, we uh, believed that we could bring people together a- around a, a bill that would protect life when a child can feel pain at 15 weeks. Uh, and I'm disappointed that uh, it hasn't progressed. Uh, and our Senate Democrats, I think, are doing a true disservice 
uh, to Virginians and not listening to them. Because what's clear is Virginians want fewer abortions, not more. What's clear is that a huge majority of Virginians support uh, this approach to protect life when a child can feel pain. And and that's not Republicans versus Democrats. That's including Democrats. A majority right. of Democrats support this bill. Right. And so I am very disappointed that the the, the uh, Senate Democrat leadership isn't listening to their constituents and is rather playing politics on a topic that is beyond politics. Uh, we're going to continue to work. Uh, we have uh, re- real real uh, optimism around bills that are going to support women who are pregnant and provide them with the services that they need to have a healthy child and to bring that child into this world and support them going forward. And I'm excited about the holistic view of life that we are able to take. Uh, but we're going to continue to try to find a place where we can come together and uh, protect the fact that that a child uh, does deserve this kind of this kind of protection. And and we're going to come together, hopefully, around a bill in the future that will recognize that a child can feel pain at 15 weeks. Well, it's certainly possible with you providing that leadership. And I just want to validate two things you said. Number one, I, I know you are a pro-life governor. You ran that way. You didn't hide that when you ran for governor. And um, you are right in that this is an issue when you talk about when a child feels pain as we begin to try to build consensus around where do we draw the line to protect life. Sixty percent of Americans say this is reasonable. Uh, Now, some would would say, I think life begins at conception and we should protect it from that moment. But I realize we live in a democracy. We've got to build consensus. Clearly, this is a place of consensus. So I I commend you on on your leadership there. I want to ask you kind of another question, Governor. You you uh, you really have fueled a lot of hope uh, across America because of your, your your bold leadership on a number of issues, especially education. Having been governor so far, a little got about a year under your belt. What would, what has been the most rewarding thing for you to see transpire in the state of Virginia? Uh, this has been a very uh, encouraging year in, in, in its entirety, uh, where we saw taxes reduced by $4 billion, and we're going to go back and get more. And we stood up for law enforcement and had record funding into law enforcement, and we've made government work better. Uh, but I am particularly, particularly encouraged by the great progress that we've made in education and empowering parents. And when uh, a bipartisan bill was passed to empower parents to make decisions with regarding with regards to their child wearing a mask, and when a bipartisan bill was passed uh, that empowered parents to make decisions about the materials that were used in the classroom and if they were consistent with their family values and if they weren't they could get replacement they could get replacement uh, materials and and when we are empowering parents to know what's going on in their children's lives uh, this is i believe at the at the foundation of virginia values that we know that children belong to parents yeah they don't belong to the state, and we have to stand up for those rights. And so I'm encouraged by the progress that we have made. I am ambitious about our agenda going forward to continue to stand up for parents' rights, to continue to stand up for excellence in education. We can raise the ceiling and the floor. We should not lose sight of the fact that Virginia's children should, in fact, have that should have all the running room they can possibly take to live the best lives, the lives that God has, in fact, 
uh, determined for them, not ones that people have determined for them. Well, Governor, I can say that a lot of folks are encouraged by the progress you've made in education in the state of Virginia. We just got a few a few seconds left. A lot of listeners and viewers in Virginia, how can they be praying for you? Well, first of all, I want to thank everyone who does pray for us. Uh, Suzanne and I just so, so appreciate it. And and we see the the fruits of those prayers every day. And so please be encouraged because uh, your prayers make such a difference as I see the Lord's uh, presence in, in all that we're doing. Uh, and I have to start with continue to please pray for our family uh, and, uh, and our children and my lovely wife, who is just amazing. And, and pray, for, pray for our agenda, that our agenda represents his will, and therefore his favor will be upon it, and that we can move hearts, and that we can bring people together to press forward down that path. Uh, it's just so humbling to know that uh, people across Virginia and across the country are, are, are praying for us, and I just want to say thank you. Well, Governor, we'll continue to do so. Thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to see you. Tony, thank you. God bless you. All right, folks, stick around. We're coming back with more Washington Watch after the break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Not guilty. That was the verdict Monday in the trial of Mark Houck, the Pennsylvania pro-life advocate arrested for defending his son in an altercation outside of an abortion facility in Pennsylvania. Houck was arrested last fall in an early morning raid, a politicized raid, I would say, by the FBI nearly a year after the alleged altercation. 
that had twice been thrown out of municipal court. Now, if convicted, Houck faced more than a decade in prison. So Monday's verdict is not only an answer to prayer for so many people, but a rebuke of the weaponized Department of Justice targeting political opponents. Well, joining me now to discuss this uh, by phone is uh, Mark Houck. He's the co-founder and president of the King's Men. Mark, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, greetings, Tony. Thanks for having me. Well, congratulations. I know you were relieved by the verdict, probably not necessarily surprised because you had been acquitted before. But um, tell us, how how are you feeling now that the the jury has found you not guilty on these trumped-up charges by the Biden administration? Well, all glory be to God. It's it's a great feeling. When I came out of the federal courthouse, I I, I described it in the only way I, I knew how, which was to say I felt like George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. So um, uh, relieved, uh, just filled with hope. And and this whole journey, Tony, has really been a, quite a blessing uh, for me and my journey as a, as a Catholic Christian man. So let me just step back for just a moment. We've talked about this on our program, but I want you just to very quickly um, tell our viewers and our listeners, what occurred, you know, what you were charged with and why and how it unfolded. Sure. So back on October 13th, 2021, there were uh, two altercations, I should say, that happened in front of Planned Parenthood in Center City, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, it's a location I've been going to for 20 years to pray peacefully and to do sidewalk counseling. Uh, on that day, uh, after that, that altercation where a, a volunteer escort for Planned Parenthood was harassing my son repeatedly, um, there was a, a push, a fatherly push, that had to take place in order to defend and protect my son. Well, the uh, the local authorities wanted nothing to do with it. The DA from uh, Philadelphia was not interested in prosecuting. There was a private criminal complaint that was dismissed, as you alluded to. On April 22nd, it was dismissed, 2022. On April 27th, I was served a target letter saying I was a target of a grand jury investigation and that I might be indicted. Uh, On September 23rd, to expedite the journey, uh, I was raided in my home uh, uh, early morning hours, Friday morning at 645 by about 20-plus federal agents and Pennsylvania State Troopers. As you saw their case unravel in court because it was so weak and the jury saw right through it, is this little more than an effort to intimidate pro-lifers and get revenge for the court overturning Roe? I can tell you what my personal experience was, is that we heard nothing from the assistant U.S. attorney, the Department of Justice in Philadelphia, uh, from May to uh, till September, uh, my federal pros- former federal prosecutor uh, Matt Heffron from the Thomas More Society reached out repeatedly with no response. And so, what happened on the day of the raid is M16 guns, full SWAT gear, uh, uh, ballistic shields, ballistic helmets, battering ram were at, on my doorstep, and the guns were pointed at me, my wife, and my children. Uh, I was, I, I, they denied yeah. that. They've said that was that would did not happen. H- how do well, they do nothing that? Nothing could be further from the truth. Good. 
Uh, how do they get away with that? I mean, they, I, I know your wife said those statements and, and how it terrorized your children. And they said, oh, no, this, we, we didn't do that. That wasn't a, it wasn't a SWAT team. It wasn't anything. It was just a regular uh, arrest. Yeah, well, nothing could be further from the truth, and and you know, there's nine eyewitnesses to the fact. But but that SWAT stands for Special Weapons and Tactics, and they had everything there. So whether they want to deny that it was SWAT personnel, it, it's exactly what it was. Yeah. Regardless of that, their efforts were to humiliate, intimidate, and instill fear. And, in fact, it was an act of terror upon my family. I, I was shackled in my waist, shackled in my feet, and cuffed to a table at the federal building. For over six hours, I, I, I agree with you, Mark. I, I just do. The the uh, we're, we're up against a break, but I want to very quickly ask you this question: How do you think the pro life movement should respond to this type of stuff? Well, I think the the pro life movement should be emboldened as a result of this victory with Judge Gerald Papert and the jury. All thanks to them for for vindicating and and basically saying that there's. Uh, there was no evidence here, and that uh, this law, this statute, Judge Papert said, is being spread way too thin, and, and uh, the civil affairs for uh, the DOJ need to go back to Washington and fix this. So I think pro-lifers should be emboldened to get out there and continue to do what they do, as will I. And two other things they should do. Continue to show courage and compassion, two things that you have done, and, and Mark, we commend you. And uh, again, congratulations uh, to God be the glory. But thank you for being willing to stand and uh, and, and help compassionately those who uh, are making that life and death decision. We appreciate it. Amen. Well, we'll keep doing it. Thanks so much for all your hard work. God bless you and your audience. All right. Thank you, Mark. Right. As I mentioned at the top of the program this morning, early this morning, 630 this morning, we began a national gathering for prayer and repentance at the Museum of the Bible. Dozens, uh, two dozen members of Congress and uh, several hundred people there praying for our nation, repenting. Congresswoman Mary Miller was there, and she joins us next to talk about it. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. 
Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. Good to have you on this Wednesday afternoon. All right, tonight in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation appointing a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Now, humiliation means repentance. While we, we may not be in the midst of a brutal civil war, physical war, one glance at the headlines, the spiritually perceptive would realize our nation's in trouble. It's deeply divided. And we need to turn to God. Prayer and repentance is the way. Nearly 20 members of Congress joined other faith leaders, from across this country this morning at the Museum of the Bible for a national gathering for prayer and repentance. Well, joining me now to discuss this uh, was one of the members of Congress who joined us, Congresswoman Mary Miller. She is a member of the House Education and Labor Committee. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois. As I mentioned, the House is voting, and so she joins us by phone. Congresswoman Miller, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you. That was quite a spectacular event this morning, and I want to say of all the things I've participated in here in D.C., this was the highlight uh, event. Um, It was sober, but it was beautiful, and I was just so honored to have the invitation to join. Well, we were grateful to have you there and praying. And, you know, I I will say, I said the same thing at the top of the program. You know, I've been here 20 years, been a a part of a lot of great events, but there was something different about this one. And I saw a candor among your colleagues and and really crying out to God, repenting for where Mm -hmm. and what we've done, including the House Mm -hmm. Speaker was there, reading scripture and praying. Mm -hmm. This was a profound moment, I think. It was, and it really inspired me to draw near to God in a new way and to be more dependent on him. And also, um, it made me feel closer to my colleagues to know that they feel the same way about our need for God. I I sensed that. I, I even saw, it just felt like there was a greater sense of unity as you 
collectively stood there, again, almost two dozen members standing mm -hmm. there together praying for our country in a way that I, I don't think members have ever prayed before. And I could tell you from interacting with members on the floor today, there were more members that wanted to come but had a conflict, and um, they were, you know, very more. I feel like he was kind of grieved in his heart that he wasn't there. And Tim Burchett, Harriet Hageman, there, were, there are a, a, many other members that wanted to participate and weren't able to. Did, did you did you have an opportunity to speak to some of those who were there and, and get feedback from them? Actually, I haven't, um, but I'll look forward to it. I, the feedback I got was very similar to what you said. It was they found it very encouraging. They they found it different. Uh, a lot of times, these a lot of these things are kind of very staged and 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 stiff. Mm -hmm. But this was. I just saw a reflection of the heart of the the men and women who are in Congress. Of course, we had the other mm -hmm. Christian leaders who were there, and it was very, mm -hmm. it was very encouraging, as you just said. It was very encouraging to me to mm -hmm. see and, and believe that God heard our prayers this morning, mm -hmm. and that we could see yes. a pivotal moment in this history. Just the fact that we had the Speaker of the House there praying a mm -hmm. very strong prayer, reading Scripture from Isaiah mm -hmm. chapter fifty-nine. That that I, I cannot mm -hmm. find a. Um, Another example of that in modern history. It was very encouraging, and I look forward to um, hopefully we can make this, if not regular, a regular event, an annual event. And I was also lamenting that my husband wasn't with me. He had a conflict and couldn't come, but he would have loved to have been there. But it's what our country needs. We need to draw near to God. Like I said in my prayer, as for God, his ways. His way is perfect, and we've rejected God in so many ways, and we're trying to define what's good and evil and basically trying to say a square is a triangle. I mean, it's just led into an abyss of confusion, whether it's, you know, how we do marriage, family, um, our view of children, our view of sexuality, and now gender, um, you know, and God's just given us all these warnings. Yeah. <laughs> about, so, you know, if we go our own way, what's going to happen? And I, I think we're there. So so true. And the timing of this was just, it was actually prompted by the president signing the so-called yeah. Respect for Marriage Act into law, because that was kind of the trigger for me that we needed to let God know that there are those who are seeking him in this country. Mm -hmm. And that just as he did with uh, Abraham, when he interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, mm -hmm. if I find 10, I'll spare it. And, and I believe we mm -hmm. need to intercede for this country, asking God to, to extend his hand of mercy and not uh, judgment upon the country. Congresswoman well, Mary Miller. And absolutely. I want to thank you for, uh, for your leadership, because not only are we to pray, but we're to act. We're to walk out those prayers, and you do that each and every day on Capitol Hill. We're grateful for your leadership. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. All right. Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois, another great champion. And part of the reason of doing that, and by the way, uh, you hear me talking about this, you can you can see it, watch it on demand, go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the link over. We've literally had tens of thousands watch it already, maybe hundreds of thousands by now. I haven't checked it. Uh, it will be on Daystar tomorrow. Daystar will be airing this uh, tomorrow, so you can check your lineup if you have Daystar TV. 
And uh, you can also go to PrayDC.org. So it's several places that you can watch it. I I would strongly encourage you to do so. It was, again, been a part of a lot of great events. In fact, we do a lot of great events here at the Family Research Council. But this had to be among the top in terms of encouraging. It was sobering, as Mary said, because it was it was very weighty, the somberness of the moment, but an appeal to God. And just to see how the Holy Spirit led the prayers and the worship is powerful. You, you, you'll want to see it. Go to TonyPerkins.com. A recent bill passed in Utah drew attention for claiming to ban experimental gender surgeries on children. And, you know, Mary Miller was just making some reference to some of these crazy policies that are coming out of our government right now, how it is it runs counter, totally counter to what the word of God says. But what's even more troubling are those that try to hide what they're doing with deception, making it sound one way when it's really another. Now, this bill out of Utah, I'd love to celebrate this as good news, as some have reported it, but the unfortunate truth is the bill contains a massive compromising loophole, and we've actually seen coming out of Utah on these issues of homosexuality, lesbianism, LGBTQ, all of these issues, there's a real problem with a number of the laws. They're trying to somehow reach a compromise where a compromise cannot be found, and the result is... Nothing is accomplished. In fact, there's greater deception that is pushed forward. Now, here to explain this is Joseph Backholm, Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement here at the Family Research Council. Joseph, thanks for joining me today. Good to see you, Tony. All right. Normally, you're uh, here on Fridays uh, in in, uh, filling in for me, but I'm I'm interviewing you on this because this is a bill that you have uh, dug into working with the family policy councils across the country this bill isn't what it appears to be. Tell us why. Yeah, that's right. And this this seems to be an example of uh, something that politicians often do, which is why we're gonna, which is legislating for a headline when the details uh, may not be uh, reflective of what the headline says. Now, this creates a uh, pause. They're referring to it as a moratorium on gender reassignment for children, unless that child has been diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And of course, that diagnosis is very easy to get these days, as you have a lot of clinicians who uh, will give that with uh, not much examination. Now, the bill does attempt to establish what that is, but the reality is there are a lot of practitioners uh, who will um, diagnose someone with gender dysphoria well, especially uh, as rather the, quickly. As the medical community has been politicized on this issue, and you see the associations, the medical associations pushing this, so in fact... You see those who are hesitant to give this designation, this diagnosis, are often piled on uh, by the left. That's exactly right. And and that's uh, the second part of this bill. In addition to this moratorium, what the legislature in Utah has said is, we're going to study this issue. Let's go consult with the experts, and then we'll see if we're going to lift this moratorium uh, down the road. Now, of course, I think we already know what these so-called experts are going to say about this issue. And in a world where people were interested in truth and were really trying to find out what the facts were, uh, and this is a world, this is how the legislature and the political system used to work, where we'd study something, we'd get good data and information, and then we would respond to that. Uh, but the unfortunate truth is uh, we probably know what the outcome of any study on this issue is going to be already. 
And, and this is really not an issue of facts and science. This is really an issue of worldview. If you believe that people can change their gender, you're going to find facts that suggest that. And really, I think what we need from politicians these days is not a desire to co- go consult with people who think boys can become go- girls and get advice from them, but just draw the line and say, this is not something that we are going to allow. Because if you ask somebody to find a reason why you should do this, they will definitely give you that reason. Joseph, unless I'm missing something as I read through this, the the law also mandates the creation of a massive new bureaucracy to regulate the industry. So it doesn't sound like they're anticipating this going away for very long. I mean, if they're if they're gearing up to regulate the industry with a new bureaucracy, it would suggest to me that they're going to move forward with this. I think that is a big clue as to where they would expect this to go. And I think those of us watching this share that expectation that this is not really a desire to make sure we only do things that are good for kids. It's a desire to get political cover. So when they in Utah say, hey, this is really good, they can point to a bunch of experts who said, oh, they gave us the advice. They told us this is best for children. So we just followed the experts. We've seen so many examples uh, recently of how the experts are often wrong. Really, this is an issue of either you want to protect kids from mutilation chemically and surgically, or you don't, and you want to find a reason uh, to justify why it should be done. And there's a lot of clues in this bill that suggest uh, the latter approach is where Utah is headed, despite its uh, Republican legislature. So, Joseph, help me f- figure something out here. Uh, the, apparently, the science in Europe is different than the science here in the United States. Uh, European countries, following the science, are trending away from these experimental treatments. In fact, they were ahead of the United States, and they've looked at the results, and they say, wait a minute, whoa, we got to put the brakes on this. Uh, this is not good. Is it different science here in the United States or what? Well, of, of course not. You're dealing with deli- different political environments. And really, the tribalism in the United States, because, again, the Europe went down this trans road before the United States did. And right now we have this tribalism where basically – Uh, Many on the left will say, well, if conservatives like this, I like the opposite. And in this case, if conservatives don't want to turn boys into girls and girls into boys, then I do. And despite the fact that those who pioneered this kind of science are now saying, hey, the evidence does not support this. There is not evidence to suggest this is good for kids. This is not actually relieving the mental distress of the people that we are claiming to help. So we're not going to do this anymore. Um, We in America right now, and because it's a newer issue, we're just not listening to that because there's this tribal instinct to just win politically, get our way, and just defeat those we have defined as our political opponents. So in many ways, I think in in the legislative environment, this is really a desire to beat political enemies rather than sincerely just do what uh, the evidence suggests is good for children. And that's where I think Utah was trying to stand on both sides. Uh, as they've done on other issues. But this is an issue that many legislatures are addressing. Several measures, like what we call the SAFE Act, uh, stop the uh, experimentation on on children. Those acts are being advanced in many states across the country by the legislatures, are they not? That's exactly right. And, And we see Missouri moving on this. We see Idaho moving on similar legislation. Montana, it's already passed in Arkansas. We see Louisiana moving on um 
legislation like this. And so one of the reasons why Utah's approach is concerning is because we know you can do better because lots of people are doing better. They're not consulting with left-wing medical associations to ask them for their opinion. We already know what their opinion is. We already know what they're going to tell us. And so uh, more courageous legislators in those states are saying, no, this is not going to happen on our watch. We are going to protect kids. We are going to be the adults in the room and make sure that 20 years from now, the children in our state are not looking at us wondering why we didn't do more to help them. So because people are doing better, that's all the more reason why uh, Utah can approve on its current approach. Yeah, absolutely. Joseph, back home. Thanks for joining us. Always great to see you. Thank you, Tony. Uh, You know, you can't compromise on truth. This is it's very straightforward. The science, the morality, like Jesus Matthew chapter 19, have you not read from the beginning that God created them male and female? I mean, there's only two genders. I mean, we can play these games, but the reality is, whether you're talking biology and science or you're talking about biblical truth and morality, we, we have to stand up for that. I, I very quickly, I want to go, um, I didn't mention this, I should have mentioned it when I had Mark Halk on, but you know there is this new committee in the House to dig into the weaponization of government. And we want to encourage that committee in their pursuit of the truth and stop the government from being used against the citizens. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, text the word committee. That's the word committee to 67742. Text the word committee to 67742. We're going to encourage the House to take a stand and investigate how the Biden administration has weaponized government against the citizens. All right, folks, thanks for joining us today. Again, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and be sure and watch today's prayer event. It was powerful. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.